0: Oneness, we're back to oneness after a a message on Mother's Day. And this week, my message on oneness uh, might be a little difficult, but that's all right. Because I think we really got to get all the aspects, we need to get at all of the aspects of oneness. You see, for us to be one with Him. He wanted us to be one with the Father. He wanted the, the, us to be one with Him. And then he said, if you remember, that was like three or four weeks ago we started this. If you remember, when we're one with Jesus, the world knows. The world sees it. And so our oneness with Him, our vertical oneness, helps our horizontal oneness. Okay? Does that make sense? So we want to be one this way. That's great. We've got to start this way. This is where it starts. Okay? We prayed for marriages today. I guarantee you, I promise you, this right, if both of you are pursuing this, it'll take care of this. Maybe that's to keep everybody awake. Every now and then it'll scare people. Right? You'll be nodding off and, ah, I'm awake. Or maybe not. So then we talked uh, about ways that we can become one with God. That week we talked about regular times that we read Scripture, regular times that we pray, uh, spending time with other believers, lifting each other up, holding each other accountable, looking into one another's blind spots. This week is a little bit more difficult subject because I want us to look at that I believe interfere with our oneness things that come in the way, things that kind of stop us up, things that might muddy up the waters when we're trying to become one with God. And so we're going to look at three things. Now here's the deal. I doubt anything I'm going to say this morning is new to you. And if you've come to the spring for a long time, you've heard all of these, I'm going to touch on three different things. You've heard me talk about all three of them at one time or another. But I think they're important enough for us to look at that, that we look at him again this morning. As I prayed about this sermon this morning, as I prayed about it, as I talked to the Holy Spirit, he kept bringing me back to these three things. And so I think they're important. So a lot of times what I'll have you do is I'll have you poke your neighbor and say, pay attention, there might be something here for you. But I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to say, poke your neighbor and say, there might be something here for me, so be quiet and pay attention. Don't distract me. Because there just might be something for me, and if you're distracting me, I might not catch it. Okay? We good? So here we go. We bought Ben a car, my oldest son, six years ago. 1999 Ford Taurus with like 643 million miles on it. No paint on the hood. I mean... But you know what? It lasted him six years. It got him through college. We were really excited because we didn't pay a whole lot of money for it. But on Friday, we decided we're going to get rid of this car. So I, I went out and I'm looking at this car before we took it to the junkyard. And I'm like, holy cow, this car's in bad shape. It had a cracked hood. It had two bald tires. When you stepped on the gas, the engine said, what, seriously, you want me to go somewhere? I mean, because it, and then he took off off the road. So, anyways, I'll, we're driving out to driving out to Roxbury, and I'm going, "Come on, girl, you can do it." Trying to go up the hill there at Air Hill, but anyways, so so we had this car, you know, and uh, it had this it had the old dreaded check engine light on. How many of you have ever had the check engine light on? Do you ever realize how little the check engine light reveals to you? Yeah. My dad calls it the idiot light because it's idiotic. You know, if you have a temperature gauge, when it goes up, it's getting hot. When it goes down, it's getting cold. Check engine light. I pull up the hood and, okay. (laughs) How many of you know what to look for, right? I don't know what I'm looking at when I look under the hood. Check engine light. You know what? We can be the same way. Humans can be the same way. We can have symptoms, we can have outward signs, we can have broken windshields, rusted fenders, lack of power, but then also we can have a check engine light on in our life and know, have no idea what to do with it. How many of you have ever been dealing with something and, and struggling with something and you just can't quite put your finger on what the cause of it is? You know, why, why am I dealing with this? Why, why can't I get along with this person? Why can't I uh, handle this particular situation or this struggle that I have? And we just can't put our finger on it. This morning I'd like us to look under the hood. Because I think there are three very important things that stop up our oneness with God. Three things that make our check engine light come on. And sometimes we don't know what it is or how to deal with it. How I many have you ever heard the, the expression hindsight is 2020? The number one thing that I want to talk about today that hinders our oneness with God has to do with looking into our past. See, we can look into our past. Hindsight, real, that is really true. Hindsight's 2020. I can look at things in my past and go, "Wow, if I'd have done that different, or if I would have uh, not done that, or I could have handled that differently." When we look back, we can really see places where we can change some things going forward. We can learn from hindsight being 2020. The problem is, a lot of times we take that 2020 hindsight and we beat ourselves up over it. I was stupid for doing that. What is wrong with me for doing that? I must have something wrong with me for sure. I can look back at my past and I can say, you know what? I should have made better choices in high school. I shouldn't have dropped out of college. I should have picked better friends. I never should have drank that first beer. I never should have smoked that first joint. I don't know if that shocks you to hear your pastor stand in front of you and say things like that. But that's where I was as a teenager. Those are the choices that I made as a teenager. And I can look back at that with my hindsight being 2020 and say, man, I should have n- never been involved in any of that stuff. I should have known better. Even as an adult life, I shouldn't have been so focused on my job that I lost time with my kids. We can all look at our lives like that, right? There are things that we can look back there's things that we can learn. It's important at times to take inventory. But for today's discussion, I want us to look at the times where we have 2020 hindsight and we beat ourselves up over it. We allow regrets of our past to determine our future. I believe one of the quickest lies the enemy wants to tell us is that our mistakes and regrets of the past are a prediction of our future. And that's a lie. From the pits of hell. If I was this, then I'll never change. If this is how I operated in the past, then that equals how I'll operate in the the future. It cannot be changed. It's a done deal. One of the things he wants us to believe, one of the things that he's so good at, one of the things that hinders our ability to be one with God is that we don't believe we can be. We're too broken. We're too stuck in our ways. We're unable to change. And, and sometimes we look at our things in our past and we say, God probably doesn't want to be one with me. <laughs> Even if I wanted to be one with him, he probably doesn't want to be one with me. Because I know who I am. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. It's really quiet in here. Because the kids are gone. Poke your neighbor and say, if you see me nodding off, wake me up. Here's the good news. Listen to this and listen closely. Isaiah 43 18 and 19. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Do you see the hope in that? Do you see the hope in that? Forget the former things. And then it's not me that's doing the new thing. God is doing the new thing in my life. He's bringing new life. Look, you guys hear me use this example all the time. Do you all know what this is? It's my journal. See what's in my journal? Right? What's in there, Jeff? Lots of writing. Me. Look, look when I look when I page. Th- I feel like I'm in like elementary school. Now kids, if you see right here, but no. But look, look what happens if I keep going. What do you see? uh Oh. Now what? Now what do you see? Empty pages. Why are they empty? Because it had not happened yet. This is how we need to view our lives, folks. What's written in the past, it's written in ink. Yeah, I could probably scribble it out somehow. But what's in the past is in the past. But i got a whole bunch of blank pages in my future. And so do you. My past does not equal my future. We need to stop believing that because I believe then that inhibits our oneness with God because God is about new. God is about growth. God is about moving forward. And when we believe we can't, we can't be one with Him. Where we have been does not determine where we are going. Yes, our past has got us to here. But when I get here, I can make a choice to change directions. Are you with me? Regardless of our past. And here's the thing. If we go back to that verse. How can I prove this? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. What's my proof of that? This thing right here. Jesus came to the earth and he made a new way for us. He made it possible for us to be one with God once again, to restore that. Embracing Jesus gives us new life, whole life. All right, along with our past, takes me to the next subject. And in this one, we actually have to go to the third book of Genesis. And we see the story of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit. And immediately after he eats the, they eat the forbidden fruit, we see this happen. Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. You don't have that one. I'll read it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. What happened here? One word. Shame. Shame. Here's the deal. They were ashamed of what they did. There's something interesting about the word shame in the Old Testament. One of the definitions of shame in the Old Testament is defective. So when I feel ashamed, I feel defective. Adam and Eve felt like there was something wrong with them. Let that sink in for a minute. When we're ashamed of something, we actually believe there's something wrong with us. There's something broken with us. Something defective about us. And it's interesting that Adam and Eve attempted to hide. They attempted to cover up. They attempted to separate. Think about it. How many of you think you can hide from God? As silly as it seems, that's what they did. They were ashamed. You see, many times our ability to become one with God is hindered by shame because shame causes us to cover up parts of ourselves. We don't want to be completely exposed. The world around us teaches us that shame and guilt, when we heap those on people, it's because they're defective. Something's wrong with them. We're supposed to be perfect, or at least appear to be perfect. And here's a lie that we believe. Shame says, I am a mistake because I made a mistake. Do you get that? We equate... My action, which is a mistake with who I am. I made a mistake, I am a mistake, therefore I am defective, is where we go with that. That's what shame does to us. And I think I saw you mouth fear what goes hand in hand with shame is fear because I don't want people to see those parts of me. And the fear of people finding out those parts of me, it's like shame and fear go hand in hand. Fear is what tamps down the shame and and keeps, keeps it down until finally it comes bubbling out at some point and people see it. And so we cover up. We hide those things in our lives that are not perfect. Listen to me. There's this verse in the Gospel of John. Chapter 3. And you think I'm going to say 16. John 3.16, but I'm not. You see, John 3.16 has a really, really important neighbor. John 3.17. If you read it, it says this, I hope. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus didn't come to tell us how bad we were. Jesus didn't come to show us our shame or our defects. Jesus came to save us. That should be a hallelujah moment. (laughs) Am I the only one excited? Jesus came to provide a way out. to To prove God's love once and for all. God is not interested in us hiding anything from Him. Being one with, me, with God means He sees all, He knows all, and He loves us anyways. All right. I'm fired up. The last one is this. And I'm going to take some time here. So don't think we're getting out in like the next three minutes. One power bless you. One powerful tool Satan uses to keep us from being one with God is this. Refusing to forgive those who have wronged us. Unforgiveness. There is real danger in not forgiving. When someone hurts us, we choose not to forgive them. Resentment grows and we hold grudges against that person. And I can promise you this unforgiveness that leads to resentment, that leads to grudges, leads to bitterness. And the Bible warns us time and time again about bitterness and how dangerous it is. Bitterness poisons our emotions, it interferes with all of our relationships. There's even scientific evidence that tells us that unforgiveness that leads to resentment, people that hold grudges, are prone to physical problems. Ulcers, back pain, high blood pressure. Scientific evidence. So it's not just messing with our emotions. It can mess with our physical body. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. The worst part about forgiveness to me is the fact that it can often control our attitudes and actions with all of our relationships. If I'm struggling to forgive someone, it'll rear its ugly head in other relationships in my life. If I'm harboring bitterness, it sticks its head up in the worst places in my other relationships. People who have had nothing to do with the offense that's been done to me. Think about it. How many of you have ever blown up at somebody and you have no idea why? All of a sudden, there's anger. came out of nowhere. How often is it somebody really close to you? Think about it. It's like when we let our guards down. That's where the bitterness comes out. I don't know how many times in my life I've said something to my wife or to one of my sons and I'm like, oh my word, where did that come from? had nothing to do with them. But it came up. Unforgiveness, bitterness, I'm telling you, it comes up in the worst possible times. And here's the deal. We often transfer that bitterness and hurt to God. We blame Him. We don't trust Him. We don't want to be close to Him. We assume that everyone, including God, will hurt me if I get close. We act... We react to everyone, including God, based on our past hurts. Here's how I saw forgiveness. And I revealed this in, in our group Wednesday night, the changes that heal. And so I'm going to be a little transparent here this morning with, the whole, with everybody. Here's how I saw forgiveness. The only way I would forgive someone is if they admitted they were wrong. They had to come to me and say they were sorry. Anybody relate? Here's the deal, though: The action of saying "I'm sorry does nothing, really. Let me prove it to you. You have a four-year-old who hurts somebody on the playground. What do you tell him to do? Go say, "You're sorry." What if they don't want to? You make them go do it, right? So you're honestly teaching that kid to lie if we're honest about it here, right? They don't want to say they're sorry. They don't know why they're saying sorry. They don't even know what it means to say I'm sorry, but we're making them go through the motions. And unfortunately, there's a lot of adults who go through the motions. Again, I'll come back to my marriage. since my anniversary. Early on in marriage, I got to tell you, there's so many times I would say I'm sorry to Sandy. You want to know why I said I'm sorry to Sandy? Because I wanted the argument to be over. Anybody relate? I wasn't really sorry. I just wanted to be done with it. Let's move on. So my hanging out for someone to say I'm sorry to me before I forgive them is pretty ridiculous. Unless that I'm sorry is really heartfelt and and meaningful. Right? The other way, the other thing about forgiveness for me was, and again, being transparent, I wanted them to suffer some sort of punishment. Because of how they hurt me. Can anybody relate to that? I don't want them to get off scot-free. If I say, you know, I forgive you and you don't suffer anything because of how much you hurt me, well, then that's not fair. We got real quiet. Those things didn't happen. I would refuse to forgive. I'd hold a grudge. And somehow I thought that by holding a grudge with them, I was punishing them. But here's the truth. There's something that we need to understand. The pain of the offense coupled with the grudge that you hold actually binds you to the person who hurt you. Do I need to repeat that? This is really important. When I hold a grudge against someone, it binds me to the offender. The unforgiveness connects me. The hurt connects me to the offender. I am literally in bondage to the person who offended me when I hold on to that grudge. This is really, really important. The person who really is hurt in that situation then is me. Not the other person who I think I'm hurting because I'm holding a grudge against them. I'm the one that's in bondage. Forgiveness is huge, guys. That's why I'm, I'm being so strong on this. If there's one thing Sandy and I have learned over the years in, in ministry and even in our own family, forgiveness is powerfully important. If we get this concept down, if we get this, it's really freeing. There is real freedom in forgiveness. Go with me on this now a little bit. There's an exchange that Jesus had with his disciples that I believe is it's often misunderstood. And we're going to look at this. Matthew 18. How many of you are familiar with Matthew 18? Okay. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. If your brother or sister sins, Go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Some of us are familiar with this passage. It's taught, it's preached, it's, it's held up as a process of what you do with a brother or sister in the church, who's caught up in sin you go talk to them if they won't listen to you you take someone with you both of you talk to them. if the two of them won't talk t- won't uh if the two of if they won't listen to the two of you uh you take it to the leaders of the church but here's where i think this gets skewed okay i've heard it taught that if they still refuse to listen you kick them out of the church you shun them right jesus said treat them like a pagan or a tax collector Banish them. But right after that, Jesus says something that I want to apply to this theory. Look at verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came to Jesus. This is right after what Jesus just said. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? What's the next verse? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Follow me on this. This is really important. How do we treat people who do not know Jesus, class? We love them. How do we treat pagans and tax collectors? We love them with grace. With mercy. You guys getting this? A thief who wrongs us, we love him. Not punishment. Jesus doesn't say kick the sinner to the curb. He says love him. Extend grace to them. Share truth with them. Forgive them. There's something very, really critical that we need to understand here in this exchange that we just saw here. This is where this came to me as I was reading it, like a ton of bricks. All right. When we choose to forgive someone, it changes something within us. It releases something within us. It frees something within us. And it helps me, yes. But when we look at this exchange with Peter, it's very clear that the change that happens to me, the healing that takes place in me, isn't just for me. If I can forgive my brother who wronged me, It frees me up to love them like I would treat a pagan or a tax collector. If I can get rid of that grudge, if I can get rid of that bitterness, now I'm free and I can go love them. I can care for them. I can share the truth with them about Jesus. Are you catching this? Two of you were nodding your heads. See, when I get something right in here, it now allows me to see you through a clear lens. And getting this right in here, in this case, we're talking about forgiveness. When I can get rid of the grudges that I hold against you, when I can get rid of the bitterness by forgiving you, it now allows me the freedom to love you without having that hindering me. Lots of funny looks. Come in my direction. (laughs) Let it sink in. The release of bitterness allows me to love the offender. What if I don't feel like it? You guys have heard me say this before forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. I choose to forgive. When I teach people about forgiveness, I tell them to use those words. I make people in my house use those words. You know what I don't want to hear? I'm sorry I did this. That's okay. No, it's not. Don't respond with that's okay. Because it's not okay that I hurt you. The proper exchange is, I forgive you. And if you're in my house, it's, I choose to forgive you. Because I want us to be reminded every day that it's a choice. I choose to forgive you. There's something powerful in a choice. God created us to be able to make choices. Free will was one of the things that He instilled within human beings when He created us. And so when I'm exercising my free will to extend forgiveness to you, that's powerful. I choose to forgive you. You choose to forgive me. That's a powerful exchange. Okay, let me move on. Two more things about forgiveness. First two things that we talked about, focusing on past failures and shames, and shame um, leads to something I believe often. And that is this. We believe oftentimes that God won't forgive us. That somehow we're not forgivable. We're not redeemable. Um, we're defective. You might as well throw me out. But listen to Psalm 32, 1 through 5. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see the power in that? Here's the deal. When we truly come before God, and we truly say, I am sorry for what I have done, He forgives us. If we look at the life of David, David was by far not a perfect man. He made serious mistakes in his life. But the Bible still calls him a man after God's own heart. You want to know why? Because when David messed up, he would sincerely go to God and ask for forgiveness. From the depths of his heart, he would cry out to God and say, I messed up. Will you please forgive me? And I look at the life of David and I say, if God can forgive a man like David... God can forgive a man like me. And I hold on to that promise. Our disobedience is forgiven. Our sin, according to this, is put out of sight. Our record is cleared of guilt when we sincerely ask forgiveness of God. The second thing about forgiveness is this. There's one more step. Often one of the most important one of the most difficult things for us to do. Regret of things of the past, shame, feeling defective, often looks, causes us to look at ourselves through the lens of those mistakes all of our lives. And we can never quite get out from under that, and we can never quite forgive ourselves. standing in front of a mirror and looking yourself in the face and saying, I choose to forgive you is a pretty important exercise to go through. Because some of us, we can forgive others. But boy, I can't forgive myself because I ought to know better. The enemy's pretty quick to tell us how defective we are. So whatever it is that's holding you back from being one with God, interfering with your relationship with Him, if it's past regrets, if it's shame over sinful behavior, if it's unforgiveness, bitterness, grudges, I got good news for you. I got good news for you. Matthew chapter 11 Verses twenty-eight through thirty. Jesus said this: "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." How many of you this morning? You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you this morning feel like you got a heavy burden on you? How many of you this morning? could sit here and say man my soul needs some rest i have been just going through it i've been going at it for so long i need some rest i mean even some beating ourselves up for so long we can't even see ourselves truthfully i love this expression and and or this example and i use it often We always hear when you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot and hold on tight, right? I disagree with that. According to this scripture, when you're at the end of the rope, let go. It's scary to fall, but Jesus has promised to catch us. Jesus is there for us. I don't care what it is you're dealing with in your life. If you're hanging on in your own strength, I promise you, we'll not be successful. Let it go. Jesus' message here is total surrender. Taking his yoke, allowing him to carry the load. Where am I going with this? There's probably more than a few of us who are carrying regrets about our past in the room today. There are probably more than a few of us who are dealing with shame in our life seeing that we're defective. There are probably more than a few of us who are choosing not to forgive someone in our lives. We're holding grudges. We have bitterness. Listen to me and listen closely. You were not made to drag those things around all of your life. They are weighting you down. They are interfering with your oneness with God. Listen closely. This is a safe place. We all know we all got issues. You got issues. I got issues. We got stuff we struggle with, every one of us. You do, I do, everyone does. But we're a family, and we're here for one another whatever it is today, if you have something you want to offload today, someone will pray with you. Come. Do not walk out those doors if you've got something you've been dragging around. Leave it here. If it's something physical you want to get rid of, I've got to tell you, folks, I'll just be honest with you. In the last five years, five and a half years, you have no idea how many drugs I've disposed of, how many packs of cigarettes I've disposed of, how many porn stashes I've thrown in the trash, how many. And these are people coming to me and saying, I want to get rid of this in my life. And I've walked them to the dumpster. Now, the drugs, I don't walk to the dumpster. I call they come get them, but you get what I'm saying. So don't go digging through. No, never mind. But here's the deal. You need to get rid of it. And this is a safe place to get rid of it. Romance novels, drugs, porn stashes. If you're an alcoholic... I'll walk to the dumpster with you. And I'll love you the whole way there and I'll love you the whole way back. Because Jesus doesn't want us to carry those burdens anymore. And when we carry those things with it, it interferes with our oneness with God. And I don't know how much I can stress to you that when we get our oneness with God right, it takes care of a whole lot of ills in our life. Get rid of the things that are stopping up the works, folks. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. And if you got unforgiveness in your life, I'm telling you, that's a biggie. And a lot of times that takes a, a while to walk through. But we got people here that'll walk through it with you. You don't got to do it alone. so that's my invitation I know it's after 12 but if today's the day you want to offload something then let's do it let me pray Father God thanks so much for being willing to take my burdens thanks so much for not seeing me through the lens of my past. Father God, I pray that we, uh, as a people, would begin to see ourselves as you see us. That we're not defective. Sure, we got stuff in our life that's got to go. But that's not who we are. So Lord, I pray that we would begin to see who we are. pray, Lord, that we would realize the importance of oneness with you. The importance of our relationship with you. The strength that comes through that relationship. The way that it aligns everything else in our lives when we're aligned with you. So, Lord, I just pray that we would would see that importance. And, Lord, I pray as the enemy right now, I guarantee you the enemy, is whispering in ears. And I say in the name of Jesus, you have no place here. You have no authority in this room. Your mouth will be shut. You cannot speak. Now, Holy Spirit, speak. Talk into our hearts. Reveal things that's got to go. Give us the courage to step up and walk to the dumpster. And Father God, where there's unforgiveness, I pray that we would learn to walk that out and let it go. So we can find healing to love our brother and sister. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday.